You are listening to the Through the Bible Studio Series with Pastor Nate Holdridge. Join us as we continue our study through the New Testament book of Philippians. Here's Nate. Well, in Philippians chapter 1, we're studying this little epistle that Paul the Apostle wrote while he was imprisoned to the Philippian church. And the Philippian church cared and wondered about his well-being. This would have been one of the things that they were concerned with. And uh, they would have heard from Epaphroditus, but they needed to hear from Paul's own lips or from Paul's own pen a report on his progress. And this to me just speaks of the great love that the body of Christ has for one another, the great love that the gospel produces in our hearts for each other. And so Paul, now, as we turn to Philippians 1, verse 12, begins to explain to the Philippian church how he's doing and how he's processing this imprisonment that he's facing. You know, the Philippians want to know, is he depressed? Is he sad? Is he, you know, downcast? Or is there some other attitude? And I'm sure that for most of the people in the church in Philippi, they, in their imaginations, saw Paul in their mind's eye as uh, a downcast man as a result of this imprisonment. And so Paul responds to all of that and gives them the report beginning in verse 12. He says, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And so Paul's desire was to preach the gospel at all costs. And so here he tells them, he says, listen, all of this imprisonment, everything that I experienced, everything I faced, everything I I went through, and in the heart of Paul, he had said before, I must see Rome. I must go to Rome. I must preach in Rome. And of course, he went there in a very different kind of way. He went there as a prisoner And he says, all of this has been uh, for the advancement uh, or the furtherance of the gospel. And this, of course, is the passion of Paul the Apostle, the message of the gospel. He said in Romans chapter 1, that I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. It is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. His passion was the presentation of the gospel. He said to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 9, Woe is me if I do not preach the gospel. It was the passion of his heart. And he saw how this imprisonment actually worked for the advancement of the gospel. And in Paul's mind, he thought that this would just soothe the hearts of the people back in Philippi. But... uh, His suffering basically advanced the gospel message. This was the chief aim of the heart of this apostle. He's not there downcast and sad over his circumstances. He is glad at the advancement of the gospel uh, throughout the world. And the first way that he mentions that that his imprisonment had turned out for the advancement of the gospel is found in verse 13 where he says that it's become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. 
And so he tells us that basically this wonderful thing had been occurring. There was this palace guard and uh, this palace guard, uh, the Praetorian guard was 9,000 men strong uh, in the Imperial bodyguard. And uh, for two years now, Paul has been imprisoned and he had been on house arrest. And so he has this constant and steady flow of Roman soldiers that are chained to him or watching over him. And Paul made the most of that opportunity and he preached the gospel to them. And slowly but surely, the entire palace guard had, or imperial guard had heard the gospel as a result of Paul being imprisoned next to them. He had communicated it to them personally, and they more than likely would talk about this crazy prisoner Paul as they stayed up at night and hung out together. They probably talked about their day and talked about the conversations they had with Paul, and some of them were... I'm sure stirred to receive Christ as a result of Paul's preaching. And I just love that because in one sense, Paul is, he didn't need to look very far for an opportunity. And, you know, I sort of have to ask myself, who is it that is chained to me? Who is it that is in my life that I'm joined together with, that I have an opportunity to share the gospel with? But he goes on in verse 13 and says that this gospel message actually as a result went out to all the rest. In other words, it went beyond the guards and it went out into Rome. In other words, Rome had begun to hear of the gospel more and more as a result of this prisoner, Paul. You know, as they got the news reports and as rumors spread, uh, the gospel was spreading as well. And for this, Paul absolutely rejoiced. And so he declared at the end of verse 13, he said, so my imprisonment is for Christ. In other words, he saw that he was not imprisoned for evil, but he was imprisoned for Christ. You know, Peter had talked about being beaten for your faults in 1 Peter chapter 2. But Paul was not being beaten for his faults. He was not imprisoned for his faults. He was imprisoned for Christ. And Paul had just come to a place where he trusted the sovereignty of the Lord so much that he just realized, listen, this is not an ideal situation, but God is using this for the glory of the of, of God and for the furtherance of the gospel. And so I am looking at my chains as being chains that are in Christ. I'm an actual prisoner of Christ. And, and what a wonderful way to look at trials and difficulties, not just bearing under them or going over them, but just passing right through uh, that trial. And when you do, and when you do, uh, the gospel has an opportunity to enter into the lives of the people around you. I mean, Paul was there imprisoned, suffering, and people took notice at his joy, his gladness, his zeal, even in the midst of that suffering. And so for you, when you endure a difficult marriage and people see the joy in your life and in your heart regardless or as you submit to difficult authority in your life or as you uh, you know choose to be an employee who will not slander the company or your boss or whoever it might be uh, these things stand out to the people around you and it gives an opportunity for the gospel. And so Paul was glad at that. But also in verse 14, he goes on and he says, you know, not only was it, you know, the communication to the imperial guard and all the rest, 
But most of the brothers, verse 14, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Paul realized that his boldness in prison had this wonderful effect on the Christians that were already residing in Rome, that, that his boldness was sort of stimulating in some kind of sense. The, the bravery of Paul was producing bravery in others. And Paul was glad at that, uh, you know, wonderful uh, turn of events. And so he's communicating to the Philippians, guys, it's okay. God is using this time that I am in prison uh, for his glory and the furtherance of the gospel. Now, in speaking of the gospel, Paul moves on in verse 15 to talk about those who preach the gospel, preach Christ. And he says, some indeed, verse 15, preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for def the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of rivalry, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. Why then, only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. And so Paul talks about different people preaching the gospel. And in verse 15, that some preach it, preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from a good conscience or from goodwill. And he talks about the latter first in verse 16. And he says, you know, when they preach the gospel, they do it out of love. They have a pure heart. They know that I'm here for the defense of the gospel. Apparently, there were those who, even as they were preaching the gospel, they were preaching it in a way in Rome or, or an area that Paul had at least heard of, that they were preaching it in such a way that they were sort of ridiculing the fact that Paul was in prison. And it's so hard to imagine how this would occur. Here's Paul the Apostle. I mean, we regard him as, you know, one of the greatest, if not the greatest Christian who has ever lived. Uh, the author of, you know, the, the most, of, you know, responsible for most of the New Testament. So to hear that there were those preaching the gospel and ridiculing Paul at the same time seems absurd to us. But you can almost imagine how this kind of philosophy would trickle its way into the messages of some. I mean, even today, there are those who preach that if you are in the will of God, and if God is favoring your life, then you will not experience trials, you will not experience difficulties, you will not experience sickness and pain and all of that. And of course, we know that this is a ridiculous idea. We know that there's a thing called the fellowship of his sufferings. And we know that there will be brothers and sisters in Christ who are called to and experience poverty and sickness and martyrdom and all of that. But you can imagine, even in our modern context, someone ridiculing a person like Paul the Apostle for the trial that they were enduring. And so some, Paul says, preached out of goodwill knowing that Paul was there for the defense of the gospel. But the former, he said, the, the, the wicked people, verse 17, they proclaimed Christ out of rivalry. They had something to prove. They, they wanted a stronger position in the body of Christ. So they looked at Paul, who was in that lofty position of apostle, and sought to tear him down, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. 
Now, the question is, you know, who were these people? Were they unbelievers? Were they Jewish skeptics who were explaining the gospel in order to try and debunk it? Were they Judaizers who were introducing the law and promoting circumcision for Gentile people? Uh, were they just simply jealous evangelicals? Were they, you know, all of those and more? Uh, I don't know. But somehow there was a group out there who was ridiculing Paul for being in prison. And Paul just simply says in verse 18 in his response of, of all of this, he says, well, uh, what, what then? What should I make of all of this? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed and in that I rejoice. You know, the attitude of Paul, that he was, you know, even in this time where he was obviously being wrongfully accused, even in that, Paul was simply at peace just knowing that Christ was being preached, that Christ was being proclaimed. And this brought Paul and, and caused Paul to actually rejoice. He was just happy that the message went out. And, you know, I think this stands as a rebuke in our modern age. We, are, we can become so picky and so critical of various forms of ministry and various forms of even doctrine. And sort of get on our high horse and speak down about others. And of course it's important for us to have reasons for uh, why we believe what we believe. We should be able to express and explain our doctrine well. But on the other hand, uh, you know, Paul's attitude was so mature in the sense that he just said, I'm just so happy that Christ is preached. I'm so happy that the gospel is going out. This just caused him to rejoice. Now, he goes on at the end of verse 18 and says, yes, and I will rejoice. There's this joy within his heart. Now, what follows is the philosophy of life for Paul the Apostle. He says it this way. He says, for I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance, as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. Well, the first thing here that Paul says to them is he says, listen, I believe that I'm going to be delivered through your prayers. It's interesting to note the power of prayer that Paul believed in, and also the partnership in prayer. You know, he had prayed for them, and they were praying for him, and he believed that they they would, by their prayers, that, that he would experience a deliverance uh, in his life. Now, it's clear, on the other hand, that the deliverance that Paul expected wasn't necessarily freedom from prison. Uh, he says in verse 20, you know, I'm ex expecting and hopeful that I will not be at all ashamed, but that, the, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or death. In other words, as he's in prison, thinking about the potential of a coming death penalty, Paul is sitting there saying to himself, I'm confident that through the prayers of the Philippian church, I will be delivered. Maybe, 
that deliver, delivery will be life. Maybe it will be life. However, perhaps that delivery will come in the form of death itself, delivered unto God. And in his concern, did you, did you see it there? This is so impressive from Paul. His concern is that if death was the future that God was going to give to him, his concern is that he would not be ashamed in it and that he would have full courage and that Christ would be honored in his body. In other words, he didn't want to, to you know, experience the death penalty and say something or do something or carry himself in a way any less than with strong boldness that would shame the name of Christ. Just an amazing man, this Paul the Apostle. He wanted Christ to be magnified through his death or through his life. Now, isn't it, as we just think about that for a moment, isn't it just amazing that you and I, through our bodies, and here Paul says, whether by life or by death, isn't it amazing that through our bodies we can bring honor to, to Christ, honor to God, that, that Christ can be magnified through our, our bodies. Paul said in Romans 12, verse 1 and 2, he said to present our bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. This is our, he says, reasonable service. And to think of that, to think of my hands and my feet and my ears and my eyes, my, my sweat, my blood, my muscle, to think that, that somehow this body of mine can bring glory to Christ is such an impressive concept. And so Paul, you know, communicates and says, listen, I am looking to bring honor and glory to Christ through my body, whether by life or by death. For he declares in verse 21, this is one of the greatest lines in the New Testament. This is, again, his philosophy on life. He says, for to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. To live is Christ and to die is gain. First of all, this was a personal assessment that Paul had made. He says, for to me, for to me. And then he goes on, he says, to live is Christ and to die is gain. To live is Christ and to die is gain. Now, most of us would sort of quote this line uh, as if it was a truism for every believer, every Christian. Hey, to live is Christ and to die is gain. Well, it, it if you're in Christ, then half of this statement from Paul is always true. The die is gain portion of it. I mean, when we die and we meet the Lord face to face, if we're in Christ, it is a glorious reunion. We receive our inheritance and our future and our hope. And it is a glorious moment to, to, to die is gain. We get, we get Christ fully. But the first part, to live is Christ. This is something that is not an across-the-board truth of every believer's life. Death will be gained for every believer, but life will not always and universally be, for every Christian, for Christ. But Paul could say this. He could say that for him to live, to live, to, to be alive was all about Christ for Paul. Now, we cannot all make this claim. Paul could. And it's humbling to think of this man. But 
he, he was could not say to live is money or indebtedness to, to me to live is entertainment to me to live is friendships or education or my house my family sex my career exercise no for him to live was christ all right so he had he he, he was able to say that more and more living for him was all about christ paul was a man who truly like jesus said in matthew 6 verse 33 sought first the kingdom of god and his righteousness the very first thing on paul's mind was christ the kingdom of christ and so a powerful perspective that paul had in life and all that we could have more of this perspective in our lives more of this perspective in our hearts that for for us to live means that our lives are given over to christ himself now in verse 22 paul begins to have a little bit of a debate within himself He's got these two options, so to speak. One is life. And he says, you know, if I live, it's for Christ. And the other is death. And if I die, he says, it's good for me. It's gain. And he says in verse 22, now he starts to debate which one, life or death, which one do I prefer, Paul is saying. And again, he's emoting for the Philippian church so that they could know his perspective there in prison. He says, if I am to live in the flesh, verse 22, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I am hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Notice the things that Paul says. I mean, here he starts off there in verse 22 and says, You know, hey, if I live in the flesh then I'll have more fruit. I'll be able to work in the kingdom of God. There will be fruitful labor. But still, it's hard for me. He says, verse 22, yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. You know, it's almost like it's. it sounds as if Paul is making a choice here. Like he's deciding whether it's time for him to go or time for him to die, which obviously was ultimately, he knew, in the hands of God. But he goes on in verse 23 and he says, you know, I'm hard pressed in this decision between the two. On one hand, my desire is to depart and go be with Christ. That's far better. He just had this deep longing in his heart to be with Christ. You know, his longing wasn't necessarily just to escape earth, but to be with Christ. You know, to hear some believers speak of eternity, it's merely an escape from planet earth. For Paul, it was not just that it was partly that escaping the trial the imprisonment the difficulty but his big desire was to be with christ to gain christ to be in fellowship with him but then he says but to remain verse 24 in the flesh is more necessary on your account remaining in the flesh is more necessary on your account in other words, Paul understood, and here he is kind of making his decision, all right? He's got this willingness, this insight, and he's saying, listen, I, I know that if I stay, here's my conclusion to this whole thing, to live as Christ, to die as gain, it'd be better to go, better for me, but I know that it's actually a good thing for me to stay. That's more needful for you. It's going to lead to, to your maturity and your blessing. And to me, this is just amazing selflessness from Paul the Apostle. The only reason he des desired to live any longer 
was simply to minister to others, to take care of others. It's very similar to the attitude of Christ, who was willing to empty himself, as we'll see in chapter 2. He's willing to empty himself, to make himself of no reputation, and take the form of a bondservant, and to come and to serve us. And this is the maturity of a Christian. You know, to lay down life, and to do what is best for the blessing and the care of of others, that my life would be about ministering to other people. And that was the attitude and the heart of Paul the Apostle. You know, your life, in one sense, really is not your own. And when you live life for yourself in the, in the, the, the lusts and desires of the flesh, you know, the people around you in life are not blessed. But when you lay down your life like Paul did for others, and you minister to others, their lives are truly blessed. And, and this was the life that Paul the Apostle had chosen. Now in verse 25, he said, Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith. In other words, I'm going to stay, I'm going to minister to you, so that, verse 26, in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. He wanted them to be glad in their hearts that he would return. You know, he just loved the Philippian church so much and was so willing to return and minister to them. And, he, and he's just believing and trusting that God is going to set him free through their prayers. Now, verse 27, to close this chapter, he said, Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you, that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel, not frightened in anything by your opponents. I love the discipleship mentality of Paul the Apostle. I mean, he would tell people how to live and best practices as believers. But his big thing here in verse 27 was, make sure that your conduct is worthy of the gospel. And I love how he connects conduct to the gospel. When, when that's the motivation of a person's heart and they realize that Christ has paid the ultimate penalty for them and their hearts have been uh, humbled by the cross of Christ, when that occurs in a person's life, the conduct uh, is sure to follow. And so he says, let your conduct be worthy of the gospel of Christ. And then he tells them these three things, stand firm in one spirit. In one mind, strive side by side, you know, sort of a warlike mentality. Stand fast, strive together, stand firm, side by side. And do not be frightened, he says, verse 28, in anything by your opponents. You know, just a boldness, a fearlessness in the Philippian church. He says, this is a clear sign to them of their destruction. The boldness of the Philippian church, it would speak to the non-believer of their destruction, but of your salvation, Paul says, and that from God. For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should only should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake, engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had, and now hear that I still have. And so Paul is hoping that just as others had been emboldened by the fact that Paul was thriving in prison, Paul was hoping that this would cause the Philippian church to be bold and stand side by side, firm in one spirit, not frightened by anyone in the context of the city of Philippi that they were ministering in as well. And so the boldness that we are to have in Christ Jesus. God bless you. 
and amen. Thank you for listening. For additional resources and teachings, or to contact us, please visit us at nateholdridge.com.